Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Onion Unlimited, the podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Torridan. Last time I told you how in 2005 I ended up partaking of the memorial emblems as one of the anointed and how not long after that I was disfellowshipped for apostasy. Was I an apostate? Uh... I don't know. Uh, Maybe. It depends on your definition of apostate. Jehovah's Witnesses have this idea that apostates are wicked, uh, satanic, wanting to destroy people's faith, opposed to God and Christ Jesus and so forth. That definitely did not describe me in 2006. I certainly didn't believe everything Jehovah's Witnesses were teaching to be true, but I was also prepared at the time to keep my mouth shut, uh, not wishing to upset anyone in the congregation and thinking that God would correct anything that needed correcting in his own due time. I was just interested in finding truth. I'd done a lot of research in the Watchtower publications. I'd found things that didn't seem right. Uh, I'd shared some of my thoughts with my dad and one or two close friends who I considered to be spiritually mature. Uh, I certainly wasn't looking to bring the organisation down or undermine anyone's faith and I wasn't going around the congregation causing any upset. I didn't believe it was 100% the truth anymore, and I didn't feel comfortable with the governing body who I felt was being elevated to an almost idle status. I had genuine questions and concerns, and I didn't think it was right that I couldn't address those issues without being accused of apostasy. Did I believe it was God's organisation? Yes, at the time, in so far as I felt God was using it as a tool uh, to accomplish his purpose. Uh, No, (laughs) in so far as I didn't feel the organisation had been specifically chosen by Jesus in 1919 as the only true religion on earth. It was a complicated state of affairs what was going on in my head in 2006. I definitely don't think it warranted 14 hours in front of a judicial hearing, uh, being traumatised to the point of having a mental breakdown or being disfellowshipped and having my friends and family ripped away from me for three years. Uh, It was cruel. Despite feeling I had been mistreated, I continued to attend meetings at the Kingdom Hall. There was still a part of me that felt God wanted me to return to the organisation, to encourage ones in the congregation, and if possible to help reform things. Uh, How, I didn't know, but I didn't think my time as a Jehovah's Witness was over. Uh, despite being unceremoniously 
disfellowshipped. Between 2006 and 2009, I never missed a meeting. I'd moved with my wife and children to a new congregation and my regular attendance at the meetings along with my respectful attitude started to make people question why I was still disfellowshipped. Uh, The thing is, what they didn't know is I'd applied for reinstatement no less than seven times But each time I was told I would have to meet with a judicial committee chaired by the presiding overseer of my previous congregation. Each time I refused, uh, there was simply no point in meeting with him. Uh, Never would he agree to me being reinstated and it would have been too traumatic for me to go back and face him and his mates again. So I just sat it out, uh, waiting to see what would happen. Then, in 2009, completely out of the blue, I received a telephone call from an elder in another congregation who told me that the presiding overseer had been removed as an elder. This elder encouraged me to call Bethel, which I did, And within a few weeks, I'd been granted a judicial hearing and was reinstated. Just like that. Uh, It was surreal. I'd gone from being viewed as a wicked apostate to being accepted back as a Jehovah's Witness, allowed to participate in the door-to-door work again, and, well, viewed as a brother again. Now, you might be asking why I went back. I didn't believe the doctrine to be 100% true, uh, especially the dates surrounding 1914. I'd lost all trust in the governing body, if I'm honest. I anticipated that over time they would seize more and more power. Uh, That came to pass, as I will explain in a bit. But... I still hoped that the organisation was in some way being used by God to accomplish his will on earth. Certainly that seemed to be the case with regards to the worldwide uh, preaching work. I figured maybe God was gathering people into an organisation which, although not wholly true, was able to be reformed in God's due time. On hindsight, I realise I was just making excuses for what was just a man-made cult, but it took me some time to figure that out. In the meantime, I was back in the congregation. Uh, I started pioneering again as soon as my restrictions were lifted and slowly set about repairing my shattered reputation. I think there was a part of me that did care uh, about my reputation among my witness friends. I didn't like to think of them uh, viewing me as an apostate and I guess there was also a sense of wanting to belong. I'd been a Jehovah's Witness for almost 36 years before my disfellowshipping and it was all I knew. I'd identified as one of the anointed 
even while disfellowshipped, I continued to partake of the emblems at the memorial each year. And I felt I had a role to play in helping the brothers and sisters in the congregation to see the importance of Jesus rather than elevating the organisation and the governing body, uh, as seemed to be the case. So, over the next ten years, I served as a regular pioneer. I also joined a foreign language group, and in doing so, I was able to rebuild my reputation. I came to be viewed once again as a good example in the congregation. Uh, I was used for various assignments, both teaching assignments and organisational ones at circuit assemblies and regional conventions. Many of the brothers and sisters even began to accept that I was indeed one of the anointed, uh, especially as the years rolled by and I neared 50 years of age. The general opinion was that I had been disfellowshipped wrongly in 2006 and that I had never been an apostate, uh, just misunderstood. Some even told me that I'd been persecuted and a circuit overseer expressed that the organisation had let me down. Despite being accepted back into the congregation, I began to suffer from severe depression uh, from the trauma I'd been through. In 2011, it was suggested that I had bipolar disorder, and so I received cognitive behavioural therapy, uh, CBT, and was prescribed medication. However, a later diagnosis attributed my depression to situational stressors, uh, basically the effects of cognitive dissonance, uh, being in a cult, trying to fit into the role of a devout believer when in my heart I knew Jehovah's Witnesses was not the truth. That plays havoc with your mental health. Uh, There I was, a regular pioneer, respected brother, directing people to the organisation, an organisation that was becoming more cult-like every day, and my mind was finding it difficult to square all of that and make sense of it. Starting in 2011, the governing body began addressing the problem of an ever-increasing number of memorial partakers. Uh, for years, the number of Jehovah's Witnesses claiming to have the heavenly hope hovered around the 8,500 mark. But after a Watchtower article in 2007 which jettisoned the 1935 doctrine, the one that said the heavenly calling ended in 1935, there was a significant climb in partakers. In 2008 it had risen to almost 10,000 and by 2011 it was nearing 12,000. Something had to be done it seemed, about all these new anointed ones swelling the ranks of the faithful and discreet slave. In a question from Reader's article entitled How are we to understand the figures in the annual service report, the governing body explained a number of factors including mental 
or emotional imbalance might cause some to assume mistakenly that they have the heavenly calling. That had the effect of casting suspicion on memorial partakers such as myself, uh, especially since I had a mental health problem. I suffered from depression, uh, ironically caused by the organisation, the trauma resulting from my disfellowshipping. But yeah, the watchtower uh, wasn't very helpful (laughs) for anointed ones. I think the spike in the number of memorial partakers may have actually been in part due to that earlier Watchtower article in 2007 in which the governing body had dropped this idea that the heavenly calling had ended in 1935. Uh, The article stated, It appears that we cannot set a specific date for when the calling of Christians to the heavenly hope ends. By 2013, the numbers had shot up to 13,204. And by the time I left in 2019, there were over 20,000 memorial partakers. I think the change in doctrine was made in order to open the way for new members to be added to the governing body without them being viewed as too young. Uh, In the... Watchtower July 15th 2013 it was announced that Mark Sanderson had been appointed to the governing body in September 2012 he was just 47 years old at the time only five years older than me um, which did help me Uh, quite a number of brothers and sisters began to accept that I wasn't too young However, I don't think the governing body anticipated the huge increase in memorial partakers that would follow their adjusted view. Then in 2012, the governing body made their boldest claim ever uh, in the same watchtower as Mark Sanderson's appointment was announced in an article entitled Who Really is the Faithful and Discreet Slave? The governing body announced that no longer were all anointed Christians on earth to be considered the faithful and discreet slave. But from then on, the governing body alone would hold that position. Now, at that moment, I realised I could be right. Uh, The governing body seemed to me to fit the definition of the apostasy mentioned by the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, to quote, He stands in opposition and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits down in the temple of God, publicly showing himself to be a God. A few months after usurping the role of faithful and discreet slave, which I always felt was not something a person or group of people should assume themselves. Uh, Such an appointment should come from the master of the slave, not the slave itself. The governing body made this statement. All of us must be ready to obey any instructions we may receive, whether these appear sound from a strategic or human standpoint or not. 
was at this point that I began to think of the organisation not as merely a very controlling religion, but as a cult and quite possibly a dangerous one. I mean, obey any instructions. That's pretty much a blank check. Members were being ordered to obey any instruction from the governing body without question. This, despite the Watchtower later saying, the governing body is neither inspired nor infallible, and noting it can err in doctrinal matters or in organisational direction. So the congregation was being told to do what they were told, even though there was a very good chance it was wrong. Um, I wondered if there was any instruction a witness would not obey. No sooner had the governing body assumed total control than they began setting new dates for the end of Satan's world, albeit surreptitiously. Uh, In January 2014, the governing body revisited the doctrine of this generation and in doing so they've made the end due somewhere I calculated uh, between 2034 and 2074 quite a big window there then in October 2014 JW Broadcasting an internet television station was launched very cult-like governing body members rather than being unfamiliar to most Jehovah's Witnesses, as they had been in the past, now became household names as their faces and voices were beamed into homes around the globe. Uh, By way of the monthly broadcast, considered obligatory viewing for all Jehovah's Witnesses, we were introduced to Anthony Morris III, with his obsession for tight pants and human hot dogs. Uh, Stephen Lett would stare into the camera, telling us how much the governing body loves you, while contorting his face like Jim Carrey's The Mask. David Splane would tell us to do the math, while pointing to a chart that didn't make any sense at all with a big stick. Uh, Meanwhile, Jeffrey Jackson would give a talk with a head covering and get his gospel accounts mixed up. But the witnesses loved it. Uh, They now had highly visible leaders telling them exactly what to think, what to believe and what to do. JW Broadcasting hasn't been the only place uh, we've been able to see the governing body in action either. Uh, Anthony Morris III has been caught on YouTube buying hundreds of dollars of whiskey in what's been dubbed Bottlegate. Uh, Jeffrey Jackson has appeared before the Australian Royal Commission claiming that it would be presumptuous to think the governing body is the only channel God is using on earth and yet that is exactly what they claim. Meanwhile, Gerrit Lolsch, in uh, an official affidavit to a court, declared in 2014, I do not answer to Watchtower. Watchtower does not and never has had any authority over me. 
Uh, one can only wonder what would happen if an individual Jehovah's Witness was to make the same sworn statement to their body of elders. When I consider the governing body self-proclaiming their faithfulness and discreetness, uh, when I see them elevating themselves over other members of the body of Christ, when I hear them declaring like Miller, Barber, Russell, Rutherford, Nor, and Franz before them that the end is near, that we stand on the threshold of the new world. When I witness their near idle status now as TV evangelists, I cannot help but think of those words Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. He exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits down in the temple of God, publicly showing himself to be a God. Now, I realise my cynical stance uh, towards the governing body will translate to Jehovah's Witnesses as the unforgivable sin, uh, the sin against the Holy Spirit that has allegedly appointed the governing body. But every fibre of my body tells me they are not who they say they are. Uh, Not only have they usurped power over the body of Christ, but Christ himself. Uh, The governing body has become synonymous with God or Jesus for most Jehovah's Witnesses. What the governing body says is now considered to be the very word of God. One may debate with God, as did Abraham, uh, Moses and Lot, but one must never question the governing body. Slowly the governing body has promoted itself and demoted Jesus, and in doing so I feel they fit the biblical definition of the Antichrist. Uh, They stand in the place of Christ. 2015 brought with it a number of personal losses, uh, again traumatic, that did nothing to help my depression. Uh, Firstly, my mum died suddenly of a cardiac arrest. Shortly afterwards, my 16-year-old son announced that he no longer believed Jehovah's Witnesses was the truth. Uh, He disassociated himself and left home. And then in 2019, my other son uh, also disassociated after learning about the Australian Royal Commission. Now, this caused me cognitive dissonance like never before. I'd recently finished reading uh, The Gentile Times Reconsidered by Carl Olaf uh, Johnson which had satisfied me beyond a shadow of doubt that 1914 was not the beginning of Jesus' presence. Uh, I'd also studied the Byte model by cult expert Stephen Hassan. And all of my research up to that point had convinced me that Jehovah's Witnesses were not only not the truth, but were now a cult. Uh, At the same time... I was a respected regular pioneer, viewed as one of the anointed and even being considered for reappointment as an elder. 
I seriously considered leaving Jehovah's Witnesses, as my sons had done, uh, but it wasn't that simple. An Awake article in 2009 stated no one should be forced to worship in a way that he finds unacceptable or be made to choose between his beliefs and his family. In reality, that's exactly what I was being asked to do. I now had two grown-up children who were disassociated, but I still had two younger children, aged uh, 17 and 13, living at home. Uh, A JW wife, my witness dad, and other, I thought, very close friends, uh, depending on me. If I remained as a Jehovah's Witness, even if I faded and became inactive, I knew I would be expected to continue to shun my grown-up children. Um, I didn't want to do that, but if I didn't, I would then run the risk of being disfellowshipped again myself which would then affect my relationship with my younger children as they grew up, uh, got baptised and left home. I wanted to get out, uh, but I just didn't feel I could. Um, Maybe I could have. I just didn't know how to go about it in the best way. Uh, I felt torn, I felt trapped, and my mental health was going down the pan again. Marital harmony had also dropped to an all-time low at this point. Uh, I was feeling so low that I was praying each night for my marriage just to end. Um, And then I met a wonderful sister, kind, gentle, loving. Uh, She showed me respect and I responded. I told her how I felt And she reciprocated, and even though we knew we couldn't, shouldn't uh, be together, we began texting each other, and we also met each other privately on a couple of occasions. Uh, We held hands, that was it, Uh, but it wasn't right. I was married. I'm not proud of my actions, but I just couldn't take it anymore. I was miserable in my marriage. And desperately wanted out. Uh, I also wanted out of the cult I'd been in for 50 years. I just wanted to be free from the mental torture I was experiencing. But everything, everything was tied up in being a Jehovah's Witness. And leaving didn't seem to be an option. So... The next time my wife threatened to leave me, I told her to go. But like usual, it was just an empty threat. Uh, She didn't leave, but telling her for the first time ever to stop threatening and just go uh, prompted her a few days later to ask the inevitable question, do you really love me? Uh, to which I, for the first time in our marriage, answered honestly. I said, no. 
she threw her wedding ring at me and told me we were finished. My wife at that point suspected I had feelings for someone else. Uh, I'm ashamed to say that at the time I denied it. But a few days later, my wife uncovered the evidence she needed to prove that my heart belonged to someone else. After tearing the house apart, uh, she found my private journal in which, trying to maintain some sanity, I had written my deepest thoughts. Uh, She learned in that journal that I wished she would leave or even die. I'm not proud of that, but I just wanted to be with the person I loved without committing adultery. I was so confused. Uh, My wife demanded that I call the elders to help me, but I refused. And at that point, I jumped in my car and I drove off to meet my girlfriend to figure out what we would do next. That's all for this time. Uh, Join me next time as I'll tell you about my second disfellowshipping, which ultimately led to me being completely free from Jehovah's Witnesses, but also cost me everything.